Hi, I'm Andy Moore, your Friday host of the 8 O'Clock Buzz. Thanks for spending your mornings with us. We love bringing you this blend of art and music and news and politics and, and more. In return, we ask that you spend a little to support this show. And it's easy. Go to wortfm.org slash donate. It's the Friday 8 O'Clock Buzz. I'm Andy Moore. A special hello to a friend listening this morning in Vermont, Heidi Lang. Uh, we just heard... Uh, a, a rather disturbing uh, cut, uh, sounding cut uh, uh, from a Richard Thompson song called "Love in a Faithless Country," which, while while it sounded pretty serious, it doesn't necessarily come across as a, a murder ballad. But as we're about to learn, the, the act of killing can be obscured in the artful lyricism of a murder ballad. And, and America has a, a, a thing about killers. Um, when you think about it, from Billy the Kid to, to Jeffrey Dahmer, the, the, the grotesque, uh, senseless act of killing somebody, it, it, it's baked into American mythology. Uh, murder ballads play a role in that or, or have perhaps benefited from it. Uh, our next guest spent the last two years researching a new book that is a deep dive into the history of the form, Murder Ballads, Old and New, A Dark and Bloody Record. It's by Chicago-based author Stephen Jones, who joins us now by phone. Good morning, Stephen, and welcome to the Friday Buzz. Good morning, Andy. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. A quick side road before we begin. I've never met Stephen, but it turns out we graduated from the same high school, Atherton High School in Louisville, Kentucky, and we were a few years apart, but we had the same teacher for humanities at Atherton. And Stephen, I dedicate this interview to Mr. Warfel. Is that cool? Yes. That's fine with me. Warfel was one of the best pieces I had in my life. Yes, so. I, and same here. Um, and it's very cool that we share that. Um, uh-huh. I get a out of that tremendously. Well, and we've both, when you think about it, Stephen, not that it needs to be the Stephen and Andy bio, but we've both gone into the humanities um, in, in some way. Yeah. So, Mr. Warfel, yeah. I, I know he's still kicking. Um, thank you thank you for, for, for putting um, all, all of those uh, very, very mind-expanding ideas and books before us when we were teenagers. So that Richard Thompson cut, it dreary as hell, uh, but was not explicitly about a murder, but it was definitely an implicit song about murder. The actual murder he wrote about is a a decent example of an atrocity that was actually quite a cultural phenomenon in in England. Talk talk about it. Yeah, um, it's uh, even for, you know, the guy who, uh, you know, songs uh, of doom from the tomb. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the name of you know a long running fan site about him. It's a pretty dreary song, um, but it's also um, it's a very indirectly inspired um, account of an infamous set of murders that took place in Yorkshire, um, in uh, England. Uh, Ian Brady and um, Myra Hindley uh, were a sadistic couple. Uh, Brady was a Scots-born Nazi obsessive and. Uh, 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 Hindley was a um, uh, secretary that they ended up in a romantic relationship that turned uh, ghastly. Uh, they murdered children um, and uh, buried their bodies um, on Salworth Moor. And um, Thompson's father was a police detective, so uh, when he was a boy, he heard these stories, um, hushed conversations, he said, around the dinner table. Anyone who was living in Manchester or England um, at the time these killings happened um, would have been familiar with them. The, you know, there's a very famous pair of uh, mug shots of the two of them. Uh, that, um, they have the same sort of recognition 
in England that, you know, say Manson or Bundy do here, not as well known yes. um, um, in, in uh, you know, in the U.S. But uh, Thompson wrote, writes a song about, uh, you know, a kind of a, a obscure song about uh, lovers on the run. Yes. Um, um, and, given the, uh, the details that you're sharing, though, when he sings, that's the way we make love. It's just bone chilling. No, it's terrifying. And he, you know, I also talk in the book about a song by the Smiths called Suffer Little Children, which is inspired by the same killings. Um, and Morrissey also grew up, you know, hearing stories about these. And uh, as a mank, um, you know, born in the late 50s, they disturbed uh, him uh, tremendously. But the, the Thompson song uh, trades in sort of uh, banal verses about skullduggery that's uh, fairly uh, nonspecific. Um, but then there's this frightening chorus, that's the way we, we make love, because mm. that's the way we make love. Where the implication is that child murder is the yeah. aberrant bond that uh, that ties these two together. So it's quite uh, frightening. It's heavy stuff, especially at 8.30 in the morning. But can murder ballads yeah. be cathartic for people? Or are they meant to, to upset and challenge the listener? What's, what's your view of that? Oh, boy, that's a big one. Because for me, I mean, a murder, murder ballads are, are, are songs of homicide, uh, uh, partly based in fact, uh, usually um, passed down uh, for generations, sometimes over centuries. In my book, I expand the notion uh, to uh, songs that are also about uh, um, just other terrible things uh, uh, like war and uh, disease and natural disaster and so forth. And I extend it away from sort of, you know, cobwebby uh, antique songs into more modern forms like blues and alt country and punk and post-punk. And I do believe that there is a cathartic role songs like this play. Uh, people... Uh, uh, people, you know, need to find means to deal with ghastly and unspeakable things. And, uh, you know, the um, everyone knows about horror movies. Everyone knows about, uh, you know, horror fiction, stuff like that, or true crime, the obsession with true crime. But these songs, I think they serve a purpose that's both uh, a remembrance um, and a catharsis. <laughs> and people latch on to them as a way... Uh, to deal with a safe distance with the sorts of atrocious uh, tragedies that we all at some time in our life uh, face. If you're just joining, uh, I'm talking with Chicago-based author and, and J.M. Atherton High School alum, uh, Stephen Jones. Yeah. His new book is called Murder Ballads, Old and New, A Dark and Bloody Record. I should also add that um, Stephen's artwork um, accompanies uh, uh, the, the, the text uh, throughout, and, and it really adds a particular emotive tone uh, to, to, the, to the very uh, well-researched and, and very well-written um, uh, new book. When I started the book, Stephen, I expected it to focus, um, because the bluegrass country guy that I am, almost exclusively on the on the Appalachian and, and country connections to murder ballads, you know, Banks of the Ohio stuff. Turns out this is very urban stuff as well, and, and punk music was home to a lot of music of this sort. Talk about punk's contributions to murder ballad. Yeah, well, punk uh, has a lot in common. I mean, uh, murder ballads were part of the the architecture that led to country music through hillbilly music, these fatalistic songs about hard living. And uh, punk has a lot more in common with that, I think, than some people would think. You know, both are do-it-yourself musics, both are, uh, you know, were created by untrained musicians. Um, uh, songs were simple, songs were uh, uh, traded around and performed by various performers or bands and, you know, later 
in later years. Um, but, um, you know, the what we now call alt-country or Americana had very strong roots in punk, and the Mekons, uh, post-punk band uh, from England, uh, play an important role in that uh, genealogy, and they recur in the book a number of times for that reason. Um, uh, the Mekons, if you're not familiar with them, were a punk band from an art, uh, art school in Leeds. Um, they had in common with other punk bands that they could barely play their instruments. Uh, they were self-taught. They discovered in 1984, roughly, they discovered English folk music and they discovered American country western music. And um, my friend Bill Myers, a music critic, gave me a cassette tape in 1985 when I was an art student and said, you're not going to believe this. You've got to hear this band. Uh, they're a left-wing um, <laughs> existentialist punk band who are trying to sound like Hank Williams' Honky Tonk. And I said, that's not a thing. <laughs> We're going to get to Mekon John Langford in just a moment. Um, and and yeah. I may be taking this off the, the path um, in, a, in, a, uh, in, in a non-constructive way here, but I really wanted to ask you this. Um, in the book, you spend almost as much time describing in very harsh detail, which is the only way to describe it, I suppose, background about the victims and the circumstances of murders, almost as much time as you've been writing about the music that the killings inspired. Why did you decide to do that? Well, I, you know, I, from the get-go, I didn't want to write. This, is, this book is in no way a compendium of the murder ballad. There are lots of fine scholarly mm-hmm. works that do that. I didn't want to do an encyclopedic book. I wanted to basically start, uh, there are 24 essays plus an introduction and an outro. I wanted to start with a song that moved me, mm-hmm. and uh, I wanted to draw from all over the place. Um, so, uh, you know, that's where I began, and then um, I treated each song um, by first trying to discover, if possible, the history of the events that inspired it, then trace the lineage of related songs, or the songs that inspired the song, are there, are there sequels or offshoots, you know, of yeah. the original song. Yeah. And then um, also stray into, because I, you know, I have a background, I'm an artist, a writer, um, and a musician, um, I brought art into it, film into it, yeah. psychology, yeah. politics, um, it's, that's just me. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, it, well, it reflects all of that. It's, it's, it's very, very, it's a very rich meal. Oh, Another thing I was unprepared for, though, was how, was how I felt almost naive about how war itself, and you alluded to this in, a, a moment ago, is a background yeah. for murder ballads. And, and after reading the connections um, between war and, and this music form, I felt like a total idiot. Of course, war is the ultimate murder ballad. Um, you have a passage from the book that you're going to share with us that takes us into that territory and indeed into John Langford territory. Will you set it up and, and read it aloud to us, and then we'll spin a little bit of that song that you discuss. Sure. Uh, this is from a section of the book uh, called Like a God with a Thunderbolt. Um, Drone Operator by John Langford is a biting critique of modern warfare by an aging punk rocker, a self-identified working-class socialist who's never sh- uh, shied from using the alt-country genre he partly invented to confront degradations of empire and capital. The song, a first-person account of a military drone pilot's musings, disturbs due to its slow-burn portrait of a detached but sane killer, shielded from all harm and short-term consequences of his actions. His physical isolation and high-tech weaponry capture the remote character of mechanized combat and provide a chilling update of both the murder ballad and the anti-war song. 
if war is necessary evil, a questionable but widespread assumption, surely a corresponding principle is that those who wage it must have the integrity to face unflinchingly its human cost. Okay, Encore and Jim, um, thank you for that, Stephen. Let's listen to a little bit of Drone Operator by the great John Langford. by John Langford. Thank you for setting that up so precisely. Um, and then the music kind of speaks for itself and, and what a groove on it too. I, I, we only yeah. have a minute left, Stephen. Um, and God, I wish we had more time. It, it, it's such a corny thing to say, but here's a corny question. Um, in the minute or so we have left, um, do you have a favorite murder ballad? And if, and if you do, why does it work for you? Good grief. That is a hard one. Uh, I, I will, I'll, I'll cop out first and say they're all in the book. Okay. Um, you know, every, every, everyone is. Uh, I, the one that popped in my mind um, is um, a song by Drive By Truckers called Two Daughters and a Beautiful Wife. Uh, Patterson Hood um, wanted to write a song um, about the ambivalent and terrible feelings he felt about a family that he was friends with from Richmond, Virginia, who were killed in a home invasion um, uh, for just, you know, a laptop and a wedding ring. It was just an appalling tragedy. Um, and that one was one of the songs that led me on this, one of the modern songs. There are older ones, you know, that certainly led me on this journey. But that one so moved me. And Patterson updated an old country motif of the letter from heaven and wrote the song from the point of view of the dead father uh, romping on a bed with his children and thinking that this is paradise, uh, being with my family on a bed. It's a very powerful song uh, by Drive By Truckers. Stephen, so that one is definitely up there. Um, <laughs> um, it, so many, though, and, and so many yeah. in this book. Stephen Jones, um, I hope our paths cross uh, um, sometime yes. soon. And, and thank you for joining us on the Friday Buzz. Oh, happy to be here. Thanks so much. You're so welcome. Chicago-based author Stephen Jones' new book is called Murder Ballads, Old and New, A Dark and Bloody Record. 